In my wardrobe, Timmy pulls out items and tries to guess which ones my husband chose and which ones I did. My husband has a peculiar sartorial taste when it comes to me, like he's imagined that he married someone from Stepford when he married someone from Enfield. I've never told him that I don't like the things he buys me, because sometimes when we decide to spice things up, I put them on and he likes it. I don't wear them outside though, I have some semblance of pride. There's a silk skirt I bought a few months back that Timmy picks out and asks where exactly I plan on wearing it. You never go out anymore, she says, and she's not wrong, but I shop regardless. It's something my mother hates about me. You have a degree and no job, a house, but no children. You're like an empty fridge, expensive to run and yet completely useless. My choice not to work, among others, is a reason my mother and I have a difficult relationship. Whenever she calls, at least twice a week, usually on Monday mornings to berate me again for not working, or Friday evenings to interrupt whatever social plans I have and berate me for not spending time with my husband or not being pregnant. She finds ways of pointing out the exceptional things that my two sisters have accomplished and are currently doing. My older sister, who is married to a heart surgeon and has three children, is a biochemical engineer who lives in a wealthy part of Dulwich. My other sister, who is two years older than me, is married to a financial analyst, pregnant with her second child and also partner at a law firm where the annual revenue is nine figures. My mother usually opens her phone calls with a professional success story of one of my sisters, followed by something one of their children has done, like walking or speaking, accolades that neither of us will remember the moment the phone call is over. She wants to make a point, a statement that I am not achieving the things that they are, and therefore I am falling behind. But her parameters of success are constantly changing, and it's impossible to catch or keep up. Hi readers, welcome to Something Bookish. My name is Amin, aka Lip Gloss Mafia, aka the Crazy Book Lady, aka your bookish bestie. On this podcast, I talk about all things books and reading, from book lists to reviews, musings, tips and tricks, and the occasional guest chat. So think of this space as a virtual lounge, but for bookish people who are very chill and cool and cultured obviously if this is your first time listening to the podcast welcome to the dark side (laughs) and if this is not your first time listening to the podcast hey how you doing readers this is the 56 what what am i saying (laughs) readers this is the 56th episode and I will be chatting with Ore Abaje Williams, the author of The Three of Us. Before we get into it, just a little bit of housekeeping. So the Indulgent Bibliophile Book Club is reading The Middle Daughter by Chika Onigwe this July. Please follow the Indulgent Bibliophile on Instagram for updates and all the snazzy posts. Secondly, let's see. Please and please and please support my ministry by buying me a cup of coffee readers if you love the content i create and you would like to support me you can do that by clicking on the payment link in the show notes titled buy amin a cup of coffee alternatively if you follow me on instagram or twitter the link in my bio would lead you to that page it only accepts payments in the nigerian naira though so if you're outside nigeria all you need to do is convert how much you'd like to donate from your currency to the naira for instance say you're in the uk and you would like to donate what 10 pounds to amin or five pounds just convert that on google convert five pounds to the nigerian naira 
and you can impute that and then send yeah okay so what else what else what else what else what else um i think i wanted to say something but i just can't remember now anywho the something bookish reading challenge is still available and open to you if you'd want to participate you want to do something different with your reading this year i mean when the second half of the year still you can put your reading back on speed or you can pick up reading again with a different twist so just check out the something bookish reading challenge either on storygraph or you can just google it or you can check the show notes for a direct link finally please subscribe to the newsletter okay the link is in the show notes or you can just google something bookish substack and it will pop up so please subscribe to the newsletter because it's a very different vibe from the podcast i'm very wise on the newsletter sometimes <laughs> all right so uh for this episode i am on a mix of sativa and gin yes yes my beloved no mixers may the heavens guide us without further ado let's talk books shall we hi all right welcome to the something bookish podcast congratulations on your debut i finished it in one sitting i could not put it down welcome again and thank you for oh. agreeing to be with me oh thank you for having me no i appreciate it and thank you for reading um i always love it when people say they've read it in one sitting that makes me very happy so thank you <laughs> was that the plan though to have people read it in one sitting because I'm, I'm sure you spent like months and months on this book <laughs> I don't mind actually. I, it was it wasn't my intention to to make it, people read it in one sitting, but I love that some people do because it makes me feel like they've been gripped by it, and it's been um, it's something that they feel very much they need to know what happens, and um, it, that to me also makes it seem like those characters feel very real to them, and that there's, there's a sense of urgency in the situation. So it always makes me happy when people say that they've read it in one sitting and that they couldn't put it down. Um, but no, my, my intention is for people to read it as as they want to read it. So. Whichever way makes me happy, I'm happy that they're reading it at all. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So I I can't remember disliking three people so much simultaneously, <laughs> but I I also enjoyed the messy dynamic. So without dropping any spoilers, because the book is still new in Nigeria, without dropping any spoilers, can you tell us about this book? Yes, so um, it's called The Three of Us, and uh, as its title explains, it is about three people, namely a wife, her husband, and her best friend, and it's set over the course of one day. Now, the husband and the best friend do not like each other, and so throughout the afternoon, um, they are all drinking a lot of wine. Uh, I call the wine the fourth character. Um, They're drinking a lot of wine, and they are saying things that they mean um, because uh, tensions tensions have have risen to a specifically... uh, uh, heightened boiling point um, because of the different motivations that they have um, both for themselves and for the wife the, the husband and the best friend and so those tensions reach a boiling point as you get towards the end of the book um, and you're kind of looking to see whose side the wife will take um, and exactly how the situation will play out and it's yes over the course of one afternoon so first let me I, I just want to dive right into all the questions I had when I finished reading this book <laughs> What inspired this story and uh, why did you tell this particular one? What inspired? What's, 
I, I don't want to say what kind of muse attacked you. So just, <laughs> what inspired this particular one? Thankfully, I, I don't have a, um, a muse like Temi or anything like that, but um, mm. all the husband. But I had been I had been talking to someone and seeing someone and I was telling my my best friend Grace, who we were dedicated to, um, that uh, I really liked him. And she said, oh, now you're going to get a boyfriend. I'm never going to see you. And I said, no, he has to understand that you come first, which was half joke, half not joke. Um, and then it just made me laugh and it made me wonder, actually, what would that situation be like if um there was a situation whereby a, a partner or husband or boyfriend or whoever didn't get along with um the woman's best friend and what that kind of dynamic would be like and so I just started writing and the story just came um in in that sense and I just really enjoyed it I I loved I don't like very awkward or tense situations so it was more enjoyable for me as someone who was removed from it to kind of be pulling the strings but not have any um involvement so to speak wow Interesting, interesting. I think I've actually I've I've seen this kind of dynamic before. So for me, it was interesting going into the minds of how they were really feeling. Because you know, sometimes people, well, in this part, people just um cover everything up with smiles and air kisses and all of that. So it was nice yeah. to see them inside the house when there's nobody watching and they, they are not acting for anybody I'm like so this is what these people really think <laughs> okay so first of all the bestie and the husband I, I'm I don't know if to say any of them match each other per se because mm. the husband could be a random person but for some reason the wife is is attaching to this man mm. and, and I, I it didn't feel like it was a um societal thing because she she seemed kind of not free per se not as liberal as Timmy but it 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 as I was reading it it felt like she would have some type of agency sort mm. of mm. and the friendship with Timmy i I don't even know if they liked each other, but it was, maybe it was, we've been friends for such a long time. We cannot just break up just because of, you know, breaking up. <laughs> so I don't even know. How, how did you, uh, what was the character development of this? Did you put them on a blackboard to work on the characters or were they just attacking you? Because you wrote them, <laughs> the book is written in different parts. I don't know if I'm making sense with the question. No, you are, you are. <laughs> okay, because... Um okay go on yeah I think I think it was a bit of both I think there was there was kind of blackboard element of planning them out and then there was also the element of them just coming at me with their different sort of idiosyncrasies and traits mm. and sort of catchphrases and things like that um but in in the first instance I mostly just started off with the wife I hadn't necessarily planned to write a section for the husband or a section for Timmy and then as I was writing um I was like mm, actually I'm kind of getting bored of just writing the wife I want to know what everybody else has to say um and so yeah and so I thought to myself oh actually what could that be like if um I, I sort of get into their minds and with the wife I didn't actually write out what she wanted at all because I liked that she was this kind of mysterious character and you couldn't tell what she wanted based on how she behaved because she seemed to want both things or she mm. seemed to want everything but then for the husband and Timmy I wrote down a sort of and I which I ended up being in the book a sort of paragraph of I picture our life like this way I'm thinking about 
what they want to do in terms of where they want to live and how many kids they want to have or place they want yeah. to go on holiday and things they want to achieve that kind of thing and that helped me to sort of craft them um but I also just had a bit of fun with them and I I think I wanted to be careful with the husband not to just write a stereotypical man but I also wanted him yeah. to be a bit plain um and then for Timmy I wanted her to I did want her to be kind of kind of troublesome and um, but also a bit of fun and, and mischievous so um in that in that sense they both they both kind of attacked me in that sense but I think the wife was also quite interesting to write because she was she she was also in her own way a bit mischievous she very much gets what she wants out of the situation mm. without really having to do too much and just sort of let things play out and I wanted to sort of toy with the idea of what, what kind of person that is and who she is and how that that kind of mind and personality is formed um but yeah it was it, it was really interesting so a mixture of the planning and the and them attacking me I would say yeah who who was the most interesting to write probably Timmy and that's because I think for a long time I wrote her as quite a two-dimensional character um uh-huh. I think yeah I wrote her as just everything about my best friend it was very repetitive the way I wrote it was just like this is my best friend, I must save her, da, 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 da. and that is very much a lot of what she says, but mm-hmm. my, my editors were very careful to say, actually, we want to know what the, um, the the sort of genesis of this person is, why is she the way she is, what's made her this way, can we understand sort of her thought processes and sort of her origin story, and so that helped me to build her out and flesh her out as a real person a lot more, because she just kind of felt like she was responsive as opposed to... Um, very original in the way that she was thinking and I it was important to make her original and not just someone who was responding to everything that was happening around her um so she was quite tricky to write and it's funny because I actually thought that the husband would be more difficult to write because I thought I've never written from the perspective of a man like this before um so I didn't want to make him feel like a stereotypical man but I also didn't want to make him feel like the hero of the story um so it was it was difficult to write both of them but I think Temi was was the most difficult for me well, is, is there any reason Timmy's the only one who has a name? Yes. So um, I do get this question a lot, actually. And <laughs> in the first instance, it's because um, I couldn't think of names for um, the, well, the husband and the wife. And I just didn't, um, I couldn't think of names that fit or felt authentic to who they were. And then mm-hmm. as I was going through the book, I was thinking to myself, actually, that makes perfect sense because they see themselves as their roles. So she sees him as her husband that, and that gives her a kind of status, a kind of safety from her parents' um, judgment. And for him, he sees her as wife, a wife, his wife. There's a sense of ownership there, another sense of status. I have a wife who is able to do X, Y, and Z and who doesn't bother me with all this kind of stuff. So um, it then made more sense that they would be referring to each other in that way because that's something they definitely see as a sort of status symbol. And then for Timmy to refer to her friend as my friend, there's again, that sense of ownership and then with the husband, yeah. it's my friend's husband, that, that point of separation, that the only reason there's a link between us is because of my friend. I'm not directly linked to this person, although <laughs> they do technically share. Um, she refuses still to call him her brother-in-law because technically her brother is married to um, his sister. But yeah. she um, yeah. she refuses to call him that because she wants a point of separation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's my dirty mind, but <laughs> I, I felt... There, there, it felt like there was more chemistry between Timmy and the husband. It had a very heavy enemies to lovers vibe. I Maybe it's that. just I'm going to, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, cool. I have heard that. It just People felt have... like if these two should catch themselves inside the, oh, wow. 
<laughs> I, I saw it. I saw it. In, I saw it in my mind. Okay. So there's a there's a very thin line between love and hatred. People think those two mm. things are very far apart, but I think it's actually a very thin line. So it doesn't. Um. It it, it certainly entertained me to hear a lot of people say that, but um, it didn't surprise me because you know when you hate someone that much, sometimes those feelings can tip over into something else without you even realizing. So um. No, you are. You are not the first person to say that. <laughs> okay, okay. But the thing is, for me, I usually don't like enemies to lovers because sometimes I read some other books that have enemies to lovers um, trope, and it's done so well that I'm like, these people should not. They will kill themselves. <laughs> and should I say it's not? It's done so well. It's just it's done in such a way that I do not see them crossing the line into. A passionate affair or something yeah but for this one it's just it was it was like there was smoke <laughs> or maybe just something was <sighs> anyway let me leave that side <laughs> for now <laughs> let me leave that side for now uh when looking when reading books yeah because you've worked as an editor yeah what what is most important to you is it the story or how it's written I think it's more how it's written because I think in in a real crafted, um, well crafted storyteller's hands, anything mm. could be interesting. Um, you could tell a story about a person walking down the street and it could sound interesting. Um, someone who actually does that really well um, in um, Open City, his book Open City, Teju Cole, he does that. Yeah. It's literally about a man walking around and he makes it just sound enchanting and incredible. Mm. And I think mm. when you're when you're an amazing storyteller, you can make anything sound interesting. So. When I'm first looking at the submissions, sometimes I try not to, when I get submissions emails, I would actually try not to look at the premise and I try to open the book and see what the writing was like first, because if the writing itself can draw me in, then the story doesn't really ultimately matter. But if if I sometimes spend too long looking at what the story is about, I'll be turned off and then I won't even want to open the submission. So um, I would try to go in blind, but I definitely think the the way the story is told is a lot more interesting because I think even today, you can tell there are a lot of stories that are very similar. Like you've got your murder mysteries and your thrillers. And yeah. Like that, or, yeah. Your, or even your rom-coms. Like the, even the tropes we were just talking about, Enemies to Lovers. It's about mm-hmm. the way you write it and the characters that you give those stories to that makes the difference in whether that story feels unique or whether it feels like you've actually just read that exact thing before. Because ultimately, everything that we're doing, we are all telling the same stories just in different ways. Um, everything sure. is, every story new. that we tell yeah, is, yeah, is, is pulled from a kind of reality, whether we've expanded that reality and, um, science fiction or sci-fi whether we've kept it very realistic as in contemporary fiction um everything is pulled from an experience or something we've seen or heard or read um or listened to that kind of thing so i think um it's definitely about the way that you tell the story and the, the story that you give those that the story you give um the characters that that will or sorry the characters that you give that story to that makes the difference yeah the fact that it's set over the course of an afternoon was that was that the initial plan from the get-go or that happened over the editing stage um I think it wasn't my initial um idea but as I was writing the wife section it came became very apparent that I didn't think I could sustain being in somebody's mind that way for more than Mm. one day um, and I like the idea that the tension would be building up to the course of the afternoon. There are these various separate things happening throughout the day and that then everyone sort of comes together in the evening. Um, yeah. And I just thought because each character section feels very much like you're inside that person's mind and it's very much a monologue, a very internal thing, that I thought mm. if I were to do it for more than one day, even I as a writer would get bored. Um, and how much more for the reader? So 
to have to read that as well. So I thought to keep it sort of short and tight and keep it, um, keep that tension building towards one moment would make the most sense. I think um, I, I haven't read any book that has been over the course of few hours, maybe just films. Mm. Uh, I think the closest I, I could I could picture was Bel Canto by Anne. What's her name? Anne Patrick. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was the closest. Mm. Even that one concept is something. Um, is only a part of it that happened over the course of a night. But what what were you reading? That or you or you just went into this with the audacity of <laughs> you know they say the audacity of a white man <laughs> or reading other stuff that inspired this particular um format. I actually was well. I was, the time I was working as an editor, so if anything, I was only really reading submissions. But I think at that time, I think actually submissions had quietened down a little bit, which was good. And um, I wasn't reading as much. And I always worry actually when I'm writing that, if I read something, I'm going to accidentally plagiarize it. So with that book, I was really trying not to read anything at all. But with now that I'm working on book two, I'm actually reading a lot more because of what I'm writing about. And I feel like I need to to get the inspiration and look at the techniques and things like that. Um, But with that book, no, I, I, I think I was, I think I had read a lot of other things in the previous months before and mm. I was trying to figure out and I'd also been trying to write in those previous months before as well so I was trying to figure out what I what I liked and what I didn't like and how what exactly I want the kind the way I wanted to write and what that might look like and I think I was struggling with that for a while so when this idea came that finally felt like okay you found what you you found the way you like to write and you just need to sort of go with that um but I think I've definitely learned over the years the, the way that I certainly like to read as well as write, which is I love very sparse writing that doesn't have a, too much description. Um, mm-hmm. I do like sort of I do like very short novels. I do like novels about relationships um, and sort of the way that we as humans interact with each other and the way the reasons why we make decisions that we do and things that can sort of change us and mold us and define us throughout our lives. So. I think those kinds of things definitely sort of fed into that. And then obviously thinking about representation, I wanted to see um, a uh, sort of a very modern black British representation of uh, a Nigerian couple. And I wanted to see them be wealthy because I think in a lot of contemporary novels, people are either lower class or they're really, really Mm. poor, they're just like middle class. But I wanted some very upper class, rich, bougie Nigerians to be in this book. Um, And I kind of wanted to, sort of make fun of that in a way um, and, the, and the messiness that the rich people have in their lives as well so a combination of a lot of things really okay okay I like that you mentioned rich bougie Nigerians in the UK <laughs> I'm going to come back to, I'm going to come back to that um so I was very fascinated by your writing style and I'm very be, before before I I interview an author I always Aside, because when I read, I'm reading in a bubble, yeah? Sometimes I read something, I'm like, this is the best book that's ever been written. And then you come <laughs> online and people is like, people are like, this author should just go and kill themselves because what wow. is it? <laughs> I know. So um, I went digging. <laughs> I will not share too much. But I ev- even though I felt like I was one of those who was fascinated by your writing style, the lack of quotations and stuff, mm. Not a lot of people were um, as enthused as me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, what 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 inspired that? What were you going for when I, you did that? 
yeah I think it's one of two things or maybe one of three things um I like that I'd seen people not use quotation marks before um I think some writers like Sally Rooney in particular I've seen her not mm-hmm. use them before mm-hmm. and then a few others <clears throat> and I quite liked the way that it, the text looked on the page the way it did that um the other thing was that I as I said before it's very these three internal monologues and for me yeah. it was very important to make it feel like you were living inside this person's head and hearing their every thought and so I didn't want a lot of he said she said that kind of thing yeah. or to break it up I want it to feel like it's one long stream of consciousness that's going throughout the day and you're watching that stream of consciousness develop um, throughout the day. And I thought to break it up, not only with speech marks, but with line breaks would just sort of mess, the fl- mess up the flow of that, mm. whole, um, that whole experience. And the only time I break up the text is when there's a long piece of dialogue between conversation between the husband and the wife when she's um, downstairs and he's upstairs. Um, and that's because my editors were like, this is going to be confusing to anyone who who doesn't, who's not you, who hasn't written it. So I said, okay, fine, I'll break that piece up. But that was, I think that was, um, that was something that was really important to me to make sure that that text was embedded because it's, it's like when you're saying, you're telling a story to someone about something that happened and you say, oh, she said this. And then he said that. It's not like you're pausing yeah. between each he said and she said, you're, you're just kind mm-hmm. of telling them, giving them the rundown. Um, and so that flow to keep that internal sort of stream of consciousness and internal monologue was really important to me. And then finally, I just, I wanted to have a point of difference. I I thought I could write a book and I could put the quotation marks in and everything can look very sort of samey, samey, but there's no real point of difference. And I thought, actually, I want my book to have a point of difference, not just in terms of, I guess, the concept or, you know, my own writing style, but then also in terms of form and how I play with that form. And so I thought I'm not using any letters and I'm not using any, um, you know, sort of, uh specific fancy language but I thought you know what would be interesting if I sort of do have that point of difference where there's no speech marks and there's no line breaks and things like that um and yeah that just gave me that just gave me a point of difference but I know it's not everybody's cup of tea and the moment I did it I said people are people are I knew that there are people who unfortunately even if they like the book itself they will say that they don't like it because of the speech marks even though they figured out who was speaking and they probably actually enjoyed the concept and the story, but they'll just say, I didn't like it because they didn't like the fact that there weren't speech marks. But I think it's important to challenge yourself in the way that you read. And if everything you read is exactly the same, um, you're not really broadening your horizons in that sense. And I, I like to, to stretch people's horizons and give them, <laughs> give them something different to look at and something to challenge themselves. So um, I knew people weren't all going to like it, but I thought it's my right and I like it and I'm proud of it. So that's the most important thing. I, I really enjoyed how the different narratives danced around intimacy my gosh you you really (laughs) went into it and then trust and betrayal and it's like as the alcohol was the alcohol intake was increasing the tension was adding (laughs) the tension was adding itself so um how much did you draw from your life because i i I'd, so yes I know writers have vivid imaginations <laughs> but it is hard to draw let me know I mean it's not a fantasy novel that you can just paint mm. anything <laughs> you want so I feel like real life might have played a scene or mm. played a part in the way you, it's it's almost very intentional the way the alcohol intake increases the tension in the book and I don't know if I'm saying this just as a a, a drinker <laughs> but it I don't know how to ask this question 
I think I know what you mean. I think I know what you mean. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I think I think like I said before, I think for every writer there is an element of real life in there. But I think mm-hmm. as it pertains to intimacy, I think I was drawing on two things. Things that I've observed mm-hmm. between people either that I know or just people that I see around. Um, mm-hmm. I was saying to someone the other day that I take a lot of inspiration for how I write from people I see, like whether I'm on the tube, whether you see, you can tell when a couple's had an argument because when they're on the train, because one of them will be sitting there with their headphones and the other will be sitting there looking to one side <laughs> or reading a book. Or you can just tell from their body language, their, their arms mm. are crossed, they look like they don't want to be around each other. Or sometimes you're hearing them have an argument on the train. They're trying to do it in hushed tones, but you can tell that there's tension between them. Mm. Um, and I think that's so interesting. And I loved being able to um, explore that. And I love being able to infuse that into my into my writing and sort of say, oh, the way that they respond to each other is like this. And I saw them arguing in this place and I wonder if they were arguing about this or even just because you're eavesdropping like me and being nosy and hearing what they're arguing about, like the little things. Yeah. Um, whether it's you didn't say hi to my mother or you didn't do this or you said this and that kind of thing. Um, and then the second thing is I'm also drawing from conversations I've had with my friends about relationships. You know, we're all at that age where aunties and uncles are saying, oh, it's you next, you're going to get married next. Or saying, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's interesting for us. To, it was interesting for me to be able to take from those conversations and think about, what intimacy means to us, what trust means to us, what relationships mean to us. Um, yeah. And those are relationships in terms of both being romantic relationships and platonic relationships, our friendships, and thinking about how they change or how they don't change or how they should change or how we deal with those changes. Um, and I love being able to put all of that in there and just explore that. And a lot of people said, oh, these are conversations that I feel like my friends and I are having, or these are conversations that my friends and I, and my, my husband and I have had, or we had an argument about this thing before that you mentioned as well and that kind of thing and especially even the con- the concept of having children um mm. because I think a lot of people feel like that's a conversation we have a lot more now but for a long time it was if you didn't want children you were seen as strange and you were seen as yeah. kind of a pariah and that people thought there was kind of something wrong with you um so it was really interesting to be able to sort of delve into that in there and bring all those elements out as things that I've either experienced and had conversations about or things that I've seen when I'm out and about in the world. Interesting. Is there anything you you've you felt like during the writing process? Is there anything you had to unlearn or relearn? About um, yourself? That's a very good question. I was asking that before. Let me think. Is there anything I had to learn or unlearn about myself? Um I think it was if the thing I can think of off the top of my head is is more about myself as a writer. Um, and that is that um, you can't force everything. Um, and I think that means that sometimes trying to be intentional, in an effort to be intentional, you actually have to be less intentional. <laughs> um, huh. If you want to give a book kind of a relaxed feel and you want to feel like this feels like everyday life, you cannot put every small, tiny little detail into that book because there are things that you should leave to the reader's imagination. I love being able to let the readers read between the lines and be able to say this happened because of this or I noticed actually that this happened in this section and maybe this is because of this and it allows them to feel like they can inhabit that world themselves rather than that world being set out before them and they just sort of get to look at it rather than being within it Um, and I think that's something I definitely learned from the writing process that I wasn't necessarily aware of before. I definitely had the idea of sort of letting readers read between the lines but I think I was unaware of how that meant that actually there was a level of uh, doing less that meant I was doing more and therefore being more intentional about the reading experience as well as the writing experience too. Wow, 
so fascinating. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. Um, back again to the book because I think we we um we moved on. Uh, I feel I I feel like I'm one of the very few people who understood the intent of the ending of this book. I can't mm-hmm. again. I cannot drop spoilers. I'm very heavy on no spoilers. <laughs> thing. But I have to ask: Was that the original ending? No, the ending was very different. Ah, okay, yeah. and okay. it was very okay. bad. It was very very bad. <laughs> and um, my literary agent Nikki. She said, I feel like the ending right now is not really packing the punch that we need it to pack. You've got all this tension building up and then it kind of has an anticlimax. And she said, I just don't feel like it's doing what it needs to do. She said, what about this and this? Can we explore? Can we tug on these sort of strings a little bit more? I was like, okay, interesting. Yes, maybe I can can tug on these strings a bit more. Um, And so then I started to think about it. And then that's how we sort of came up um, with the ending that we have now. And again, no spoilers, but the reason I wanted to end it the way I ended it is because it's the thing I just said about letting the readers inhabit the world. Um, yeah. The book is very much about perception. And if I were uh-huh. to say, this is exactly how everything is, it kind of closes off the opportunity for there to be any other perception than my own. And I think um, Diana Evans, a writer, she said to me a little while ago, she said that readers complete the books. And I think that is absolutely yeah. true. And I think uh-huh. that if I were to just close it off, it means that there's no room for the reader to complete it but I want every reader's interpretation to be the interpretation. And that sounds um, paradoxical because there cannot be one interpretation if there are many, but mm-hmm. I want that reader's um, experience of the book to be the only experience that they have of that book. Um, and I don't want it to be adulterated by a definition that the author gives it. And I know that sometimes people authors get asked, what did you want to do? What do you want readers to take away? And that's why I always say, when my friends hate that I say this, I want the reader to take away whatever they want to take away. It's not up to me to decide. Um, mm. And I want that reading experience to be very personal to them and to be theirs and theirs alone and for it not to be defined by me. Um, because once I finish that book, that book belongs to everybody else. Um, I can't, I'm not changing it. Um, I'm not taking anything mm. out of it or anything to it. Mm. That's up to you entirely. Um, and it's really fascinating actually to, to do events and hear people talk about how their interpretations of the book was, was one way and then they read the next section and then they thought another way and then they got to the end and then they weren't sure at all, that kind of thing. It was always really fascinating to hear. And I think that that privilege comes with not defining everything so perfectly and leaving the room for the reader to decide mm. what's what and who's telling the truth and who's not and all that kind of thing. Fantastic. Um, okay, so I feel like I, I need to bring you back to the fact that this book has been published in Nigeria now. Mm-hmm. So I'm being your ears to the ground about books by authors of nigerian descent yes there's this thing a lot of readers from this part say that there's always a disconnect Mm. um between uh the the character development or the plots i don't want to mention at this this one i will definitely not mention the books but there (laughs) have been some books from Wait, what am I even saying? This this is something bookish podcast. So in the case of, say, Wahala or mm. Yita, where is your husband? A lot of readers were feeling like it was a parody of what they felt Nigerians were like. This mm. kind of, it was kind of overdone of the Niger- Nigerianism of okay. the characters. Yeah? yeah. And for your book, you have very bougie Nigerians. And mm. it's like, so who is this supposed to be speaking to, to mm. get? Like, who is the target audience? Uh, are us 
because now it's it's been picked up by a Nigerian publisher and it's like are we even the target audience for this book those of us reading this book at home what are we getting mm. personally it was a very refreshing um POV and story that I did not expect because I went into your book very blind I did not see mm. I did not read the synopsis I just saw it on NetGalley I was just so in Nigerian name. I was like, yes, please. I need to read. <laughs> so when I started reading, I was like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and then when I finished reading the book, I posted it. And people, some readers were asking me like, oh, what did you think of it? I was like, it's not going to be for everybody, but I think you should mm. read it. Me, I liked mm. it. Again, that mm. thing about you reading in a bubble. So when mm. the book eventually came out and I started seeing reviews, I was like, ah, I saw this coming. But like, <laughs> What do you think of the whole conversation of Nigerians, um, Nigerian writers in the diaspora tend to um, tokenize the culture when writing books? I think it's interesting because I think there are, there's no one Nigerian culture. And for um, example, my experience of Nigerian culture is definitely through a British Nigerian mm-hmm. lens as opposed mm-hmm. to a um, Nigerian lens or yeah. someone who's based on the continent lens. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, what, can, what can perhaps appear to be tokenism can in fact maybe just be the experience of someone um, like the authors of Wahala and Yenka Husband. that might actually just be their experience um, yeah. of what they've seen because they don't necessarily live um, there and see things there every single day. Mm. on the same in the same vein it can also be that some people do tokenize it and sometimes I have to say it's not always the authors who are wanting to tokenize it sometimes it can be and this is also not necessarily putting blame either way but sometimes it can be publishers who are saying can you lean into this a bit more can you give ah, us a bit more of this so it can okay. be it can, it, it can be it can be again the the kind of experience of culture and what that culture looks like based on where people are from where they've grown up but it then can also be um just you know people wanting to lean into certain things for commercial um prospects all that kind of thing mm-hmm. um even though it's not necessarily the way that it's it, it feels like it actually appears when you're living in Nigeria um yeah. but I think in terms of you know how books appear to people and whether they feel like it's for their lens I actually don't write for anybody but myself and I mm-hmm. think it's really important that people don't write for anybody else but themselves they tell the stories that appeal to them the most because I think when people write for others you can tell there's an inauthenticity to the way they write there's a lack of joy in there it just feels like sometimes people are writing as a labor as rather than as something that they enjoy um and it's it's just a story that they feel like they should say rather than feel like a story that they have to tell because it's just really on them and it's just really sort of burning through them to tell that story um but I think it's also you know it's 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 a privilege to be a writer but it can also be difficult because people are so uh forthright with their opinions and they are happy to share them whether or not you whether or not you solicit them um (laughs) but I think what I've what I've learned is do you know what ultimately if you've taken the time to read your book that's a good thing for me because you've read my work whether or not you like it it's not something I can control either way so Mm -hmm. I'm happy that you've read it and if you want to keep reading that's great if you don't want to keep reading that's also fine I'm sure you'll find what it is you want to read but at least you're reading and getting people reading is really important and keeping them doing that and keeping them engaged and if also people are at a point where they want to talk about it that's fantastic having conversations about books is great reading is great so 
I try to just see everything as a win as much as I can um, because it can be very easy to fall into a woe is me people are saying negative things on my book but the <laughs> fact is I have a book published in Nigeria in the UK and in the US and not a lot of people get a book published anywhere so mm. that's something to be grateful for no matter what the response is so did you always know you were going to be a writer because you you work in editing was mm. was writing like a let's say five-year plan or 10-year plan did you always see that not at all not at all I thought I was just gonna be an editor forever um and before that I didn't even know that working in publishing was a thing that I could do <laughs> um so it was very much um this just this just happened to happen um and I was grateful for it I'd always written stories but I never saw being an author as a viable career I'd never seen it mm. as a viable career particularly for a lot of black people except for I guess people like Chimamanda for uh, in the last I guess 15 years um but I didn't see it as a viable career and I'd not really heard of it as a viable career there was no just there would have been no dissuading me from it for my parents who've been so supportive but um mm. I just I'd never considered it as a career um, and even when I went to universities and I was looking around them and I was hearing what they what you could do if you studied English because I went and studied English um, publishing being a publisher and an editor came up as a job and I thought okay that sounds interesting I don't even think I, I'm sure he must have mentioned being an author but I must have glossed over that because I didn't see that as a viable option um, but I just kept on writing here and there and then I think um, you know a friend of mine read some of my work and she said oh do you know what? this is really good and you should send it out to agents and I thought mm, I don't know about that but I trusted her thank goodness because she's the one who steered me in the direction of my literary agent so sorry um, this yeah. friend is it Amara because I know of Amara your best friend uh no it wasn't Amara it's was my friend Angelique actually <laughs> but she's in the acknowledgements okay. as well okay um yeah so she um my friend Angelique she's the one who said you should send it out to agents um and so I did and then found my agent and um sort of went from everything went from there but I think um, I think the storytelling bug was always there, but I just mm. didn't necessarily um, I hadn't thought of it as a viable career option. Um, and even now, I, whilst I am still writing, I'm also looking for other things to do. You know, uh, I want yeah. to write different things. I still want to do um, a little bit of editing here and there where I can when the right thing comes along. Um, so keeping my mum always says, don't ever just put your eggs in one basket. Keep your keep your fingers in multiple pies. Keep you keep yourself having multiple streams of income. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's a piece of advice I, I take and I hold very dearly and take very seriously. I'm sure the writing journey is different, especially for for someone who doesn't have their foot in the door per se, or mm-hmm. in quotes like you. Um, but how how was the journey like for you from conception to um, published published author? How was the journey like? Honestly, I think I've been extremely blessed and extremely privileged in the way that my journey's come about. And I think that comes down to two things. I think it comes down to having an incredible um, set of publishers. And I think also um, it comes down to the fact that I used to work in publishing. Um, I know how much goes into publishing a book and doing it the way that my publishers have done it. And I know it's no small thing. So when I see um, reviews, when I see booksellers engaging, when I see myself being put forward for events and sort of things like that, I know that it took a whole bunch of meetings, a whole bunch of emails in order to get there. Um, And I also know that having met with my publishers before I signed with them, that I really knew that they believed in the book and they understood my vision and they understood the execution that I was looking for. Um, Mm. And they're also very receptive to ideas. They're never saying, no, we're not doing this. They're always just happy to listen and to collaborate. Um, they're never saying no to anything and they're always pushing to see what else they can do um, so I've had a really positive experience I've had two fantastic editors 
um, Jacob Marachevich in the UK and Sally Kim in the US, who've both been incredible. Um, and they both really perceptive, excellent editorial eye um, mm. and saved me from making some, from making some terrible mistakes in there <laughs> as well. And just helped me to sharpen and really craft the book. And I think they've both made me a better writer as well, a keener writer. Um, and I think that's that's really um, that's rare that I suppose you have an editor that makes you want to be a better writer as well. Yeah. And then even just the teams that I've worked with, both across marketing and publicity and sales, even um, they've all been absolutely outstanding. I can tell through their work and what they put into it that there's a passion there for the book and a passion to get the story out there. And when I hear them talking about it or talking to other people about it, I can tell that they're really invested in it and they want it to do well, not just because, you know, it's their job, but because they actually really like the book. Um, and that can be rare and difficult because a lot of people who work in publishing are heavily underpaid and um, highly overworked. And so to be able to put a lot of passion into a book, I think really, really say something and really mean something. So um, I'm always, always grateful. And I think I had a, a really, really good journey. And I think it also helped, of course, that my agent, when I was going through the process of meeting with different publishers, she would say, I like this, but I don't like this. And for you, I think this, and she has a real sense of what I'm looking for in a publisher and who I am as a person, she knows me well, and she knows what I like and what I don't like. And so she was able to offer insight and also to say, actually, I don't think this is a good deal or I think this is a better deal or I think we could do a bit more here and there. Um, I've just been honestly blessed with work having the most fantastic team around me. Um, so I think that made the process honestly a really amazing one. I continue to be just so grateful all the time for anytime I see a review, anytime I see a post, anything like that, I'm just so grateful because I know how much work has gone into it um and that the team behind it really really loves and cares about the book that's great uh, but you worked as an editor I, I just a little question about your writing was it harder for you to write did you, or ha what, what did you have to do to take off your editor hat ah right so actually um it took a couple of years to to, to shirk off the editor hat because I actually signed to my literary agent with a completely different book um, and yeah and um I, I finished that book entirely that book was about 70,000 words much longer than this one and she sent me a first round of editorial notes and I looked through them and I read through the book again and I was just I don't like it and then I tried a bunch of other ideas and what I was doing is that I was deep in the depths of working as an editor at that point and I was writing what I thought other people would enjoy mm. and I was writing what I thought would sell well because I was looking at the charts and I thought maybe if I write this kind of thing this will work maybe if I write this kind of thing that's, then ultimately I had to say to myself this just isn't working and I think the moment when it really clicked that it wasn't working is when I, I wrote something it was more sort of romancy and I sent it to my agent it was about 20,000 words and she said to me I just don't get it and I said ah, it's 20,000 yeah. words yeah. <laughs> said, the whole 20,000 so yeah, so and then you know she said to me um I just feel like she said I just need a first draft and the thing is, her saying that, it didn't actually mean anything. It, it didn't mean anything, her saying it, because I thought to myself, well, I need a first draft too, but I'm the one who has to write it. Like, what's, what does that mean? <laughs> and I think the funny thing is, she said first draft, and for a long time, I thought she just meant, I just need something. But I think what she meant is I need a first draft, like something that is the most original, fundamental, principal essence of what you like to write and what you want to write. I need that very beginning thing like I think you need to start over I think is almost what she was trying to say and so it took a lot of time for me to then say to myself okay stop trying to write what you think other people will enjoy and just wait for something that feels most authentic to you that comes to you in its own way and it was just after that conversation with my friend I had I'd obviously I wanted to write something it'd been a few months since my agent and I had spoken and she said I've seen the first draft so 
I wasn't sort of sitting there trying to come up with an idea. I was just sort of thinking when something comes, it will come. And that conversation was the genesis then of that idea. And it just all flowed from there. Um, and I think, honestly, it, it, being an editor didn't help. Um, it, it made things worse almost. <laughs> in a sense because I had that sort of editorial hat on for so long yeah. but, but once I sort of shrugged that hat off um and realized that I'd been doing that and I was conscious of what I'd been doing previously it then gave me the freedom to just really delve into the three of us and write something that I really enjoyed and just have a good time doing it without any expectation of you must write this because it has to sell this or that kind of thing um so yeah I think I think that that really helped um but yeah being an editor itself it, it helped in that I had to go through the journey to 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 shrug off being an editor, um, but it it hurt in that it took me so long because I had that hat on so firmly and I was very much in that mindset for such a long time. I can't, I honestly can't even imagine because I work as a copy editor and sometimes mm. the, I it's it's hard to actually just shed it because mm. anything I'm reading, and also it doesn't help that I studied too much literature for my <laughs> academic. Let me say, yeah academic career when I was in school <laughs> everything was literature related so it took me mm. a while to be able to just read a book for leisure yeah. and then, that's why I'm always advocating for reviews where people just say oh I liked it I didn't like it like yeah. not everybody's going to drop a New York review <laughs> New York Times like yeah. if you like it like it if you don't like it it's okay like mm -hmm. it's not yeah. that deep what are you reading these days I just today finished a book called Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. Um, oh, and that is about the course of a relationship. Okay. Yeah, I'd seen it. And the thing is, I don't know what I thought it was about, but I think it almost looks a bit historical the way that they've done the cover. Mm. I'm just looking at the cover again now. Um, and I don't really like, I, well, I don't really like or I don't really read a lot of historical fiction. It's a bit of both. It depends on the story. Um, so when I opened the book, I think when I then read the blurb, I was like, oh, interesting. This doesn't feel like, it's historical. It's not, it wasn't historical. It was in a sense because it starts in the sort of 1980s, but um, mm. late 1980s. But it um, it's it's certainly contemporary. So I was very surprised at that. But I'd asked um, my friend Yasmin, um, who's a writer as well. I'd asked her for um, recommendations for books about relationships because my next book is again about relationships, but it's almost charting the course of a relationship. So. I was I wanted to read some books and I've been struggling with this I wanted to read some books that um gave me an insight into how other people write those relationships and the things that they include and the details and how they tell the story that kind of thing um and so I read that and I just finished it today and it's been it was a it was a wild ride that book um mm. but honestly the, I think the way that Lauren Groff wrote in that book I there were a number of things I sort of stopped and said oh my gosh that's an amazing line um, and I think if I can get permission, I might actually use one of the lines in that book in the epigraph um, for the second book, because the line is just so perfect. Um, so, yeah, that's just what I finished reading. And then um, next up, I've got um, Less by Andrew Sean Greer. And I've got An American Marriage um, by Tiari Jones as well. Oh, I love that American Marriage. I haven't read <laughs> this yet. I'm going to. I haven't read this yet. But An American Marriage Obsessed. <laughs> that book has people I, I think it's like the perfect book club type of book because mm. it's going to have people with very different opinions yeah. very strong opinions yeah you have like yeah. hashtag team this team that <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised based on the premise mm. okay okay so you say you don't like historical fiction what's your usual favorite no let me not say favorite but your go-to <laughs> genre 
probably literary fiction, I would say, contemporary literary fiction for the mm. most part. But I would say it's probably on, I'd say I probably read 70% literary fiction, um, contemporary literary fiction. Sorry, no, let me change that. I'm going to say <laughs> 50% contemporary literary fiction, um, 30% rom-coms, and then 20% mm. thrillers. Um, because I do like okay. thrillers and sort of murder okay. mysteries when they're written really, really well. Um, nice. So yeah, I, I sort of mix of both. And then I do actually read a little bit of nonfiction, but not, I probably read maybe two nonfiction books a year. So it's not very many, but when I, when I really get into them and they're really gripping me, then I've sort of become obsessed and I like, I need to finish this book. So um, yeah, I, I try to read a little bit of everything, but um, I just don't read as much historical fiction or fantasy to be fair. I think I'm actually in the same boat when it comes to nonfiction because I did I I I thought I used to read more historical fiction until I started um tracking my reads using Storygraph, mm-hmm. and apparently I read more literary fiction, and then um contemporary goes that's the second one, and then okay. there's literary then then there's historical fiction, mm-hmm. and then fantasy and then mm-hmm. YA. Mine is a mess, but those are like <laughs> four. <laughs> those are it's four. variety. It's variety. Yeah. Is there is there anything you would like to tell readers? Maybe. Those? Um, I would say, if you like the book, you don't like the book, that's fine. Just keep reading. Just keep reading in general. Mm-hmm. If you like it, good. Go and pick up something else that you like <laughs> as well. If you don't like it, go and pick up something else and just keep reading and keep enjoying, um, and keep sort of losing yourself in stories. Um, and if you if you feel inspired to write yourself pick up a pen pick up your laptop write something write anything and write for yourself and enjoy it as well that's that's the best advice write for yourself I always say this especially to people who are because I do content creation on the side I always Mm. tell anybody my tag my 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 own target audience is always me if I'm Mm. creating anything um if I don't like it I can't put Mm. it out so anything I put out I liked it first yeah. So, so that I know whoever is going to be joining the community after that is my person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. <sighs> wow. This has been fun. Thank you so much, Ore. No, it's my pleasure. Giving me your time and letting us discuss the three of us. I hope more readers will pick up this book and it would enrich. Wow. I'm grasping for words because now I'm at the bottom of. <laughs> But some of the cups that were treated. <laughs> but um, I hope it would enrich uh more readers and inspire them to pick up different types of books or want to even write themselves. So yeah, that's what I'm hoping this book would do. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much yeah. for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you again. That's it, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to read or hear any comments or feedback you have. And you can do that by sending me a message on Twitter or Instagram at lipglossmafia. That's L-I-P-G-L-O-S-S-M-A-F-F-I-A. Subscribe now or follow so you don't miss out on the next episode, which is available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast, kindly spread the book love by spreading the word. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate and leave a review. It really helps new listeners find the show. And you know shares and reviews are my love language. Yay! 
Thanks in advance. I appreciate it and I appreciate you for listening. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And like Jim Rohn said, reading is essential for those who seek to rise above the ordinary. Happy reading, everyone. Bye.